This is Friday, May 19th. Have you been able to see the grace of God at work in your life? Perhaps we can see God's hand as we look back better than we can when we're looking forward or where we live right now. We can see how God directed our steps, how God worked through what we thought were detours or even disasters. On Sunday, we look briefly at the life of Alexander Hamilton, one of the U.S. founding fathers, a friend and supporter of George Washington. The beginning of the Hamilton musical captured it so well, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Here are the first words that are sung. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence, impoverished in squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? That sounds like a tough way to begin for Hamilton, but that's where the grace shines through. It's true Alexander Hamilton was born on the small Caribbean island called Nevis. His mother had left her husband and began living with a man named James Hamilton. She didn't bother to divorce her first husband, so she and Hamilton never married, and soon James, Alexander's father, took off leaving her alone to raise Alexander and his brother all by herself. But not too long after that, she herself contracted yellow fever and died, leaving Alexander an orphan. <laughs> That's not a good start, you'd say. But remember, God loves the least and the lost, and he's a master storyteller. And yep, he worked in the life of Alexander Hamilton to make him a hero and a scholar. Now this is what our passage reminds us of today. It's Genesis chapter 25, verse 23 to 26. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now for today, we've reached way back into the Old Testament to the story of Jacob. Why Jacob? Well, first, he's the one that God chose to extend his work of grace to us and along into the world. When we read the story of Jacob, to us it just doesn't make sense. Even from his mother's womb, he was striving with his brother Esau. And as Rebekah was delivering Esau, she found a hand wrapped around his heel. Jacob was grasping his brother, still trying to get the upper hand. This would be the story of his life and of their relationship. As twins, they were as different as different could be. Esau was the sportsman, bringing the best game to his father Isaac. But Jacob was more quiet and introverted. He preferred to remain at home in a tent. In the competition, Esau won the strength test, and I think also the character test. Not because he was the greatest man, but because Jacob was without a doubt a very bad man. If he couldn't win at the birth order game... 
Jacob could wait for the moment to get his brother's birthright for the price of a little lentil stew. Esau was brutish and hungry enough one day to sell the most valuable thing he possessed to his brother for a mess of pottage. That's the way we say it. But Jacob was worse. He was willing to dishonor his father by tricking old Isaac into giving him the blessing reserved for the firstborn. You might sing a song like this. How does a liar, a cheat, a dishonorable son become the Lord's chosen one? That's what we'd sing if maybe if Miranda wrote the musical of this man's life. God chose him. And God did this before either of the two men could build a track record or prove their worth. You see, from the get-go, the story of Israel, the people of God, it's a story of grace. From top to bottom, we see how the love of God can overcome any obstacle, bad character, bad behavior. Badness is not enough to stop the loving kindness of God. Now, likely our stories are not as technicolored as Jacob's, though some of us may fit the bill. But the truth is that all of us fit the bill. We all need grace. Our stories, the best of them, are filled with flaws, as we're filled with weaknesses. This is the story that is repeated time and again as we read how God has worked his grace into our lives and into our world. For example, Adam and Eve were given a pristine world, but spoiled it because they refused to trust God's goodness and his love for them. Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous about the status of an offering made to the Lord. Abraham, the one God called, lied to protect his own skin and in the process put Sarah, his wife, in harm's way. And Judah, the man through whom the ancestral line leading to the Messiah Jesus had sex with his daughter-in-law, thinking her a prostitute, and she gave birth to a child that the line would pass through. Joseph, for all the good he did, kept a few idols on the side. Maybe he was hedging his bets, but he missed the point of trusting God completely. You see, and we're just getting started. The hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with flawed men and women that by faith trusted God, though they failed every possible character test, almost everyone along the way. Again and again, ad nauseum, God's grace shines a light on our weakness, revealing that we wouldn't stand a chance without the loving kindness of God. Look at your own life. Now look at it honestly, and you'll see this. Yes, it's here when we look deeply, we discover we are loved. God's grace is for all of those that we looked at today, from Jacob to Joseph and Abraham and Sarah too. So why does God do this? First, it's his nature to love us. Love is not something the Lord does, it's who he is. And second, this is the only way we can have friendship with God. We who lived as enemies of God have been loved to life. We were dead and God resuscitated us. As Jesus did with his friend Lazarus, God has called us from the tomb of our own shame and sin and guilt and given us a place to stand. It's really as simple as that. It's this grace that becomes the backdrop to every picture of the church. The grace that becomes the wellspring refreshing us day in and day out in season and out of season. As the book of Hebrews reminds us, 
It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. That's Hebrews 13, 9. And this is where we must stay to live in joy, to walk together in peace, to sustain a love for other people, and to enjoy God. This is what makes church possible. Let's pray. Lord, it's true we need our hearts to be sustained by your grace. Thank you for showing us Jesus and reminding us each day that we are forgiven and that we are yours. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.